You are listening to the INCJ podcast, conversations about international criminal justice. Hello, this is the INCJ news desk for 2023, and I'm really pleased to be joined by Chelsea Narvi, who is a regular contributor to the INCJ. And we're going to talk about your research work today, Chelsea, or part of your research work, which is related to criminology and psychopathy. Now, how how do you pronounce that? Is there a difference in pronunciation between uh, uh, here, here and there? So I pronounce it psychopathy, but I don't think that you're wrong. It's just I pronounce it differently. No, I think yours sounds better because it's 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 less. Well, actually, maybe we can get into that because there's perceptions around this. Mm -hmm. So it's it's almost like uh, psychopathy would be you know something that somebody indulges in, right? uh, Whereas psychop say it again for me psychopathy psychopathy psychopathy. I'll I'll get it right in a minute. (laughs) Is is something that is is more widespread and has longer and, and broader uh, implications. Okay, so so I suppose the first question is, yeah, how did you get into this field? All right, so uh, I have a background in psychology. So I will start by saying I um, I'm actually from Canada. I grew up in Montreal, but I currently live in Texas. So I have a bit of an international understanding, at least from the North American side. I did my undergraduate degree in Montreal in Canada in psychology. However, I always knew that I was interested in abnormal psychology, and I always knew that I was interested in crime. And that kind of led me into the path of psychopathy specifically. When I finished with my bachelor's degree, I just started to garner a deeper interest and respect for policies that surrounded psychology and crime. And so as opposed to getting my PhD in psychology, I instead decided to pursue my PhD in criminology. And that kind of let me marry the idea of psychopathy with policy. And and I do also work on prisons and corrections. uh, But I brought in my background in psychology specifically in my research on psychopathy. So that's kind of a little bit about me. Um, And so I do an abundance of research on psychopathy. Sorry, I put myself on mute. What were your, what what were the driving uh, impulses then for an interest in this topic, as opposed to other, other related topics or areas of psychology that you might've studied? So I think that, One of the questions that I always asked myself when I was in psychology was, why do people do what they do? Um, And I found that understanding people who are high in psychopathy was the most difficult to understand. As a teenager, I had that interest in serial killers, like I I feel like almost everyone does, and that's kind of how everything starts out. Um, And that faded, and eventually I began to understand more... uh, about the psychopathic mind and trying to understand why people do what they do. Uh, And that led me into understanding psychopathy specifically. It's also quite understudied within criminology. Um, It's a relatively new concept. Uh, It's a relatively new construct. The ability to measure it is relatively new when we think back historically. Uh, And so 
diving into that has always been interesting to me because there are still so many questions left unanswered about psychopathy. Before and we, fascination with it, right? Yeah, there's a there's a there's a, a cultural phenomenon with this, isn't there? It's part of uh, fascination with, if you like, the shadow personality. It's uh, it, it it it's something which you know tied in with things like the the the, you know, the, the zombies and you know, that kind of stuff that runs through our rows, replete through our culture. But the, the there's something that you touch on in your research, which is is prior to that, and it's about childhood experiences. And the uh, the 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 role of empathy or the development of empathetic functionality within somebody's psyche uh, yeah. as a child or as a young adult. What 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 what? what so this precedes adult psychopathy. So I can. I'll never say it. So sorry. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Psychopathy. I can say that. You can <laughs> so, say it your way. Also, it's not. I'll wrong. try it. So, 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 what precedes that with the um, with, with yeah. the development of people that maybe uh, have this uh, a dysfunctional sense of empathy, or right? So, part of the reason that I do empathy work and I do a lot of that as well is because it's very connected to psychopathy, right? So, people who are psychopathic or high in psychopathy, or who are psychopaths, however you want to say it generally have very low empathy. Um, and so understanding how people become psychopathic and then also understanding empathy development is important to me. So first of all, just to give a basic understanding of empathy in general, typically when we talk about empathy, there are two components to this construct. There is an emotional component and an, a cognitive component. So the emotional or affective component basically addresses a person's ability to respond to and share in another person's emotional state, right? So I can cry with you. I can respond to you effectively. I really, truly understand what you're going through uh, and can react. The cognitive component of this is basically a an awareness of another person's feelings through a simple association or through perspective taking. So I can put myself in your shoes, right? So some people are high on one aspect or one component of empathy. Some people are high on another. Most people who are high in empathy in general are high on both. Most people who are low on empathy are low on both, right? Um, how empathy ties in specifically to, to crime, and then I'll get into it as well as the adverse childhood experiences, is that those who can understand, comprehend, and share in another person's emotional state may be inhibited from wanting to be the cause of any negative emotional reactions, right? And because they don't want to be the cause of this, they will be less inclined to engage in behaviors that result in these consequences, right? So those who exhibit less empathy are less likely to be inhibited from engaging in behaviors that might hurt another person. But it also means that they might be less capable of actually understanding the consequences of their behavior. So if they literally can't understand the consequences, right, they might perceive that there are fewer risks associated with their actions and therefore are less inhibited to engage in those actions, right? We kind of think of it as they don't have the burden of knowing the emotional consequences that their actions might cause. So, for instance, 
I don't want to harm you, Rob, because I can understand the way that it might hurt you in the future. If I couldn't understand the way that it might hurt you, that's not a variable that's going to stop me. Uh, something else might, but my empathy won't, right? So empathy kind of serves as this, this protector, this barrier that stops people from engaging in crime or in negative behavior that might cause a negative emotional reaction to someone else. So understanding empathy um, is one way that we get at one aspect of psychopathy in general, right? So, But it, but it, it, it suggests that there's not, um, I mean, I can imagine circumstances where a disregard for people's feelings, to put it in a crude sense, is absolutely appropriate to getting something done. You know, yes. to to move a tribe from one place to another in harsh conditions, or to you know to 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 do very uncomfortable tasks, uh, to achieve uh, survival tasks or to dominance based tasks, then you don't really want somebody who's going to quibble about that sense of uh, you know kind of uh, projection to how other people might be feeling about this you just need to get it done is that different or is that related that is different because in that situation you still understand that someone might be negatively affected and that this might cause a negative reaction or a negative emotion in another person but it needs to be done because it's a means to an end that will hopefully benefit even the larger population in the long run, right? People who have very low empathy and specifically tied to psychopathy do not understand the negative emotions that might occur. They only see the end goal and they literally can't comprehend a lot of the time what might occur in the interim. And that end goal isn't related to a social benefit or a group benefit. Is is that related purely to an individual benefit for that person? Most of the time. Yeah. So most, especially if we're talking about crime, then most of the time people who are high in psychopathy, low in empathy um, are engaging in a behavior that's going to benefit themselves. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's kind of like that, that area of and empathy is a very, very complex construct, right? We're trying to talk about something extremely complex in a short period of time, but that's the basic, you know, bird's eye view understanding of it. So then there's these adverse childhood experiences that uh, restrict or change. I'm trying, I don't know the right language again, but it's 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 there's a negative effect on somebody's development, which takes that off the, the 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 average or normal path of development um, for somebody. What tell, tell us a bit about that. Right. So when we're trying to understand psychopathy, trying to understand empathy, uh, part of the question is, how does this happen, right? So we still don't really know the answer entirely to psychopathy specifically, even to empathy. Um, but we have a deeper understanding with empathy specifically. And one of the one of the aspects that affect empathy and empathy development specifically starts in childhood. So empathy will begin in childhood. Um, think about when you are a young child, you're maybe in, in preschool or kindergarten or 
at least that's what we call it here. It might be different elsewhere. Uh, but you know, you're playing with toys, right? And you see that one of your friends wants the toy you want and sh- you decide to share. That's one aspect of the beginning of empathy development, right? You see a child crying and you go and pat them on the back. That's an aspect of a beginning of empathy development. What we know about children who don't necessarily have developing levels of empathy or eventually their empathy stops developing is that those who undergo traumatic experiences or have adverse childhood experiences um, will basically be their empathy development will slow down or at times it will stop. Right. So some of the research I've looked at is whether adverse childhood experiences, you can call it trauma, traumatic experiences in childhood, especially cumulative trauma, affect empathy, and then how that affects their behavior later on, right? So in one of my studies specifically, we evaluated a sample of about 11,000 juveniles who were in detention in a state in the U.S., Uh, So all of them had gone through the, had committed a crime, I I should say. Um, And what we found basically was that empathy did affect recidivism. So recidivism is defined as their their likelihood to re-offend, basically, after they've already been been sentenced or um, been arrested. It's, It's measured differently in different studies. Um, And we found that children who had high adverse childhood experiences or high exposure to trauma, number one, had less empathy when they were admitted to their programming. And we also found that they were more likely to engage in recidivism. So they were more likely to reoffend when they finished their programming. However, one of the most important aspects of this specific study and the research I've done with this group is that we did see that empathy could be improved and that if we did have increases in empathy, that would lessen the effect of the adverse childhood experiences on recidivism. So that trauma did not hold as much of a a chokehold on them and it didn't have as much of a strong effect on whether or not they would reoffend in the future if we improved their empathy. Is there a difference between, I mean, I'm asking the obvious uh, uh, seminar questions, I suppose, but is there a difference difference in the way this manifests between uh, men and women, boys and girls, male and females? Is is there a difference in terms of, we don't typically associate uh, psychopathy with women and children, although obviously it it must manifest in that way. Yes. Um, It's stereotypically in movies it's it's predominantly men who uh, who occupy that position yes um so there also exists a body of research on empathy in men and women specifically uh, and so we know that empathy is generally considered to be a female coded pro-social characteristic okay so what this means is that First of all, empathic ability does vary between and within persons, right? And it can be expressed differently across several characteristics, and that includes gender. It could also include age, right? When we look at gender specifically, we sometimes see that socialization processes that lead to empathy development um, 
differ across boys and girls and that the specific socialization practices of boys can actually sometimes lead to an experience of anti-empathic development after the age of 10. After the age of 10, this occurs because they become more aware of their gender normative behaviors, right? And they become more aware of the fact that girls are more emotional by societal standards, and they are not supposed to be as emotional, right? And so boys will express their empathy differently at times. And part of my research has evaluated these differences here and how they affect the recidivism relationship later on, how they affect crime specifically later on. And we've actually found that, of course, empathy was related to lower recidivism amongst both boys and girls, right? Um, but there was a stronger protective effect against recidivism for justice involved justice involved females. So that that so empathy essentially protected them more, right? It had a it had a stronger effect on on females. So so so, it, so, so women who are socialized into a more empathetic uh culture uh are protected from the extremes of this, whereas I'm, I'm, the thing that comes to mind is that kind of hyper masculinity and the, you know, the, 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 the cult of the, you know, the, the uber male and, you know, that, that's kind of, you see it on TikTok and on social media a lot. Um, and, and, you know, but that, that kind of is that, how do you untangle and, uh, separate? That, if you like, cultural expression of, you know, what, what was the phrase you use? Your pro-social co- characteristics that are kind of um, you learn from the psychological functionality uh, that underpins some of this. Is that is that something that is possible to do and to to because the you know a, a prison culture, for example, again yeah. stereotypically, uh, uh, prison officers can be very macho, masculine, controlling kind of figures. And I'm also equally I'm drawn you know, the, the 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 kind of my scant knowledge of Jung and the identification with the anima and the animus. Uh, it talks about projections of masculinity and fem- femininity, super masculine men with a strong identification with the anima and vice versa uh, leads to different projections of, of how that's carried out. So the separation of psychopathy from masculinity and femininity is that, and, and group dynamics of that as well. Is, is, is there any, is that looked at in this? It, because part of childhood development is part of that socialization process. Yeah. So, I mean, all, a lot of this is tied to socialization and child development, right? Um, and that begins way before we even bring crime into the mix. Uh, of course, this idea of hypermasculinity is very well researched in prisons as well. And I do a lot of prison research too. I, I spend a lot of time in prison speaking with people who live there. Uh, and so you definitely see this even within the prison system, but it's it starts early in childhood development, right? And what we do know is that exercising the ability to predict how your actions will result in someone else's, you know, emotional state in general, right? So specifically a negative emotional reaction will disincline you from engaging in bad behavior. And it just so happens that on a day-to-day basis, females practice this behavior more, right? Males don't practice this behavior as much. And so changing that would mean changing a lot of socialization practices that begin early on in childhood. 
Is is psychopathy constant within society, or is it? Does it rise and fall with different circumstances? Um, okay, so people who, if we're talking about psychopathy specifically, people who tend to score high in psychopathy, typically the trait will remain stable across their life course, right? So the way that you measure psychopathy specifically, the there are several different ways, but the gold standard is called the psychopathy checklist revised. It's basically a... Um, it's a it's a long process to actually be able to score someone on this, but it's 20 items and you score anywhere from zero to two on an item. So you can get a maximum score of 40, right? So I score you a zero on item one, I score you a two on item two, and then I add it up and I see what you get. Let's say you score a 30. That's typically what we consider to be high in psychopathy. You will likely score a 30 for the rest of your life, around a 30 at least, right? Uh, So it does remain relatively stable across the life course. There are obviously instances where it is not, it's like any personality trait. I don't need to use my outgoing personality at all aspects of my life when I'm, you know, in a situation where that's not going to serve me well. I don't need to use my empathy at every point in my life if it's not going to serve me well. They're not necessarily, if we think about psychopathy as a, a, personality trait. Sometimes I think that's the best way to think about it. You're not always acting like a psychopath, right? However, if you were to measure my ability to be outgoing or measure my ability to to engage in empathy, I would always be able to do that no matter what. I just might not act upon that at every instance in my life. Um, The one area where psychopathy gets a little controversial is when we measure it in juveniles. So there is there there do exist specific instruments to measure it in juveniles. There is a psychopathy checklist youth version, uh, but there's a, a, a rhetoric out there that is hesitant to measure psychopathy in juveniles because of the strength of the label that it possesses, right? If you meet a 14-year-old and, and this person's already been labeled as a psychopath, what are you going to think about them? And are we preventing them from from the opportunity to ever remove that label of themselves in the future, basically, because there's such a strong label. And, and, and there is a flip side to that, is that if you can't label and identify people as that, then you can't deal exactly. with the conditions that give rise to it. So it's a taboo topic. It's, exactly. it's almost, I mean, how's the, in terms of professional criminology practice and uh, therapeutic practice and things like that, um, is it does it have that kind of distance it's you 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 know you because we've created this uh, mythology around it in our popular culture of being you know ruthless serial kill, hidden ruthless yeah. serial killers um actually in that uh, you know the, the kind of the the the, the snakes in suits model is it um uh, uh babakian hair their their book and um they they um you know, present this as something which is glorified within super capitalist kind of individualist society as something is seen as a pro-social um, yeah. action. Uh, but the label, it's been, is it mislabeled? Do we need another label? Is Are there other terms that we use that we should use that we would benefit from, you know, and gain greater understanding from? Yeah. So there's definitely a misconception about psychopathy in general. Um, and it's a multidimensional complex construct that is difficult to understand. I'm still forever learning about, about 
psychopathy. Um, currently, mm, the point you bring up about you, we're trying to weigh the pros and cons of measuring psychopathy in youth and trying to understand someone who is exhibiting these traits to prevent them, hopefully, from committing crime in the future, while also not labeling them, is the reason that there exists this controversy within the literature, right? And some people say, no, you have to measure it and you have to stop these people because they are the the people who are who are high in psychopathy are the ones who are committing violent crime, right? Most of the time. Um, And so we want to prevent this. So we want to understand it early enough. And then there's also the, the people who say, no, we can't label these people that's an issue in and of itself. In practice, there are other ways that we measure negative behavior. So for instance, within psychology, um, children can be diagnosed with conduct disorder, right? So they they engage in a, a number of antisocial behaviors, and that means they might have conduct disorder. And so we try to treat this, this aspect of conduct disorder. And we can look at different personality disorders as well, as well right? Um, and in 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 practice and in programming, if we're going to look at policy, that's why there's this focus on empathy, right? So if we increase empathy without putting the label of psychopathy, then we might be able to prevent them from, you know, becoming these these psychopaths, right? So, you know, some people call it budding psychopaths. Like th- these are just little little budding psychopaths, and. By the way, it's a small it's a small number of people in the population, right? We're not walking around living with a ton of psychopaths out there. <laughs> Although it sometimes seems that um, we pushed in that direction, you know, yeah. the 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 you know the the, the soccer parent stood at the side of the the, the pitch, demanding yeah. that their children become ruthlessly aggressive, and you know, yeah. it's it, it, it there is there is a reinforcement of this, even though that might not be the natural inclination of that child there's yeah there is something there in the culture which is driving people towards this yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's, so, yeah. it's almost regarded as a virtue isn't it in a way but it's at the same time it's this unknown fear that exists for people yeah, yeah so there is i mean like you had mentioned snakes in suits right so uh i've done a, a little bit of research on psychopaths in in white collar specifically in white collar jobs um and within white collar crime uh so we we do know that there are a good number of people who are high in psychopathy um who climb the corporate ladder pretty high uh one of the challenges is that it's relatively hard to conduct research on this population especially with respect to psychopathy because it's hard to access them to you know measure psychopathy and score them on psychopathy it's much easier to do within a prison population or a population that's been incarcerated because we typically have better access to these to these people though there exist those challenges as well um in some of the specific research I've done in one of my studies specifically, we actually didn't find too much of a strong relationship between people who are high in psychopathy um, and their positions. But we were looking mainly at just managerial positions, not necessarily high level CEOs where you would be more likely to find um, to find people who are high in psychopathy. Right. And. That's the idea behind, you know, snakes in suits and 
that that it's an entire book that if people are interested in psychopathy, especially with relation to successful psychopaths, which is what we call them, um, because they didn't end up in in prime in crime or in, in prison, right? Uh, that's a very interesting book to read. Um, and and it's one of the ways that when we think about treatment, because it's hard to understand treatment for people who are high in psychopathy, we try to say, okay, how can they use their skills in a more successful way? So some people believe that in order that, you know, when manifested in this way, psychopathy can be a, a, a beneficial trait, right? And it could be advantageous in the corporate world because they might be more willing to take risks and bend some ethical guidelines, right? That other people might be inhibited with. However, we also have to understand that they're also probably more likely to engage in, you know, gender discrimination. They're not really likely to take responsibility for any negative things that happen. Um, People who are high in psychopathy also typically communicate at like a very surface level, though they can put on a very good show. And so that's why they'd be successful in a leadership position. But when it comes to true communication and problem solving, they might not be as effective in something like that. Right. So, again, it's I, it's that hiding in plain sight thing. And there's a, there's a serious question behind what I'm going to say in a second is um, I once had a boss and he was on some video or something like that. And he looks towards the camera and it said the first time I ever saw it, it, it sent a shiver down my spine because it's like he and he commonly regarded as a sociopath, but might have developed as a psychopath if if if, if, if the, the situation but very functional, hiding in plain sight, that kind of thing. And I was wondering the, the the victims of people who are psychopaths in in this way, uh, how, you know, that something has to because it can be uh, to, to be embroiled with somebody like that um, can be totally destructive for the people around them. Unbeknownst to them, they get wrapped into something, uh, drawn into a cult. You know, if you imagine the people who worked with, you know, Jeffrey Epstein and you know, uh, uh, thingy uh, 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 Weinstein, the you know, the, all of those people, the powerful people who've got a, just a, a, a dysfunction somewhere, um, and the people around them are left bereft. And never yep. understanding why what happened to them. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's the what's what's the context for kind of recovering from from that those kind of encounters? Honestly, that's a very good question. Um, I, I don't really know because people who are associated with psychopaths specifically is different than being a victim of a crime that a psychopath commits, right? So. It it feels like almost a victimless crime. Like you've been so closely associated with this person, you had no idea what they were doing or what they were capable of, and you almost you feel tricked, and you have to look within yourself and be like, "How did I let this happen?" Which what is interesting is that there is some research out there that says that people who are extremely high in empathy are those who are most likely to get close to people who are psychopathic. Um, and so it's like, maybe they balance each other out or maybe um, they're 
you know, people who are very high in empathy have high in empathy, have this natural characteristic to want to help and want to make people better. And so we typically see that there's that interaction there. The people who are very, very high in empathy um, are the ones who are most likely to get close to psychopathic people. And on the flip side, what's also interesting is there's a lot of research on people who are psychopaths and their ability to understand victims and who is likely to be a victim. So I'll tell you about a very interesting study. Um, There was a research study done on, I don't remember if it was maybe a college population. I don't remember. But basically what the researchers did was they administered the the psychopathy checklist to a a bunch of people and then they took the people who are high in psychopathy and they just put them in the room in a room and they had other other people walk in and they give these so let's say i'm in a, i'm sitting in a room and i'm a psychopath and i'm watching you you come in to a room and you just take a survey it's a survey about you know i don't know you know your your job your career your aspirations your dreams your goals your childhood experiences about whether you've ever committed a crime whether you've ever been a victim of a crime uh, uh, random things right and then you leave the psychopaths were able to predict the people who had been victims of crime. They were able to guess which people had been victimized most. So they can literally see somehow vulnerability to victimization, right? We're still trying to understand how, but this has been replicated multiple times. They can point out victims very, very well. Uh, And so they might also be able to point out and draw in the people who are most likely to be deceived by them in the corporate world, right? Um, Again, very interesting studies and a a new, relatively new topic of research that we're still trying to understand how this happens. And it hasn't necessarily been done in the corporate world specifically, but I would imagine that they can translate that ability to the corporate world too. So, so class and race play part of this dynamic as well. Is there again? Is it you know kind of it? Is it evenly spread? Does it manifest in different ways? If you does it depend upon the resources and the social capital that you've got uh, within a situation as to how you move around and you circulate and you amass followers yeah. or whatever the phrase might be. So one of the you you bring up a very good point because one of the issues with psychopathy, especially because it's a relatively new construct, uh, is that a lot of the research that has been conducted has usually used samples of white males, most that have a criminal background, right? And so currently, part of the ways that a lot of people who study psychopathy are trying to expand the research is by doing research using female populations, using different races and ethnicities, uh, using different age groups. We don't know a lot about the elderly population. Um, what we, what we are seeing is that it, it, there, there may be more white males who are scoring higher in psychopathy, uh, but it's too new to really know the differences across um, racial, ethnic, gender, age lines. Because I'm thinking, I mean, whether it's, um, and again, uh, apologies for kind of 
cultural stereotyping, but there are examples of um, conflicts and and war situations. It's probably happening now in Ukraine, where you know you you read about you know kind of castration and skinning. You know, there, there's some terrible, terrible acts against other human beings, yeah. uh, which are become organized within the industrial army, you know, kind of uh, com- uh, the, the, the context of, a, of a, uh, armed forces of carrying out atrocities. Um, is that is that associated with this? Is that, you know, is it is an attractor for certain people? Is it something that I suppose it, the military spend a lot of time suppressing people's empathy uh, right. as part of their that's what they do. That's what they're yeah. there for. You can't have a lot of empathy if you're dropping bombs on people. And, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the program. You've got to, you know, you've got to deal with that. Uh, and is, that I, a tra- is that a traitor or a thing that's, that's, that that's, you know, manipulated and used consciously? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I, I would never say that people who most people are in the, who are in the military are psychopathic. I don't believe that to be true. I think that they're doing a job a lot of the time. Um, leaders specifically, I mean, we might see differences uh, historically, right? But studying psychopathy in the military uh, is also something that is not commonly done um, and is definitely underexplored. Though the way that it manifests in war situations, I think, would be quite different. Um, part of the thrill for people who are are high in psychopathy as well is, you know, the deception and the hunt and being involved in in like the the lead up to committing a, a negative act, right? The thrill of that, um, and so. While while some people might experience that in a war situation, and I don't really know the literature on military members specifically outside of psychopathy, um, I I don't believe that it would be the same thing. Yeah, it's driven. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, the the, the image of the you know the SS guards in yeah. the prison camps and the, you know the Nazis and the Holocaust coming to mind is that there's there is well, something unleashed the demons are unleashed from that you know uh, uh, perhaps within us all um but the 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 the, the social constraints and the yeah. individual moral constraints are are dis you know disentangled or or, or broken um and and so we're talking you know the work that you're you 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 look at is is largely in the the nor- the average population the day-to-day population this social um engagements rather than any kind of extreme yeah. situations of duress and and pressure i mean i would i would definitely say that i believe that hitler would probably score pretty high in psychopathy um but i i think that his followers, though some of them probably would, um, I wouldn't say that all of them would score high in psychopathy. Uh, I think what what occurred there, and and you know, the Holocaust hits home for me too. I'm I'm actually a Jew, so like it, it's definitely something that that hits home. But um, I think what happened there needs to be studied more from a, a social psychology aspect as opposed to specifically psychopathy. Yeah. Yeah. So that so this is that individual functionality, uh, if you yeah. like, of the individual psyche and how how that yeah. operates, uh, rather than the collective 
consciousness, exactly. yeah. uh, uh, which, definitely- which can be manipulated. I mean, that's the problem, isn't it? You know, it can be, <clears throat> the con- you know, the, there are certain, you know, Pop, uh, political populism and stuff can you can easily see how it can lead to victimization demonization uh and without any kind of regret i mean you know we we, we perhaps have uh you know kind of waves of populism both in in the uk and the united states which um set those alarm bells ringing um yeah. what's what's kind of uh to wrap up what's what's kind of um the next stages of this kind of research then or is it you're going to be looking at to you know dig into it and validate what you're doing uh so there is so much to be studied when it comes to psychopathy um some of the the research that i currently do is on whether people who are high in psychopathy are also more likely to be victims of crime we know in general that there is a victim offender overlap with crime so people who commit crime are more likely to be victims of crime as well uh, and to understand if that would exist with people who are high in psychopathy too uh, the assumption here is that they put themselves in riskier situations and so therefore might be more likely to be victims of crime as well uh, so that's an understudied topic that i'm starting to look at um and then the next project that i'm actually working on uh, i will be working with a a county here in texas with people who are on probation for sex offenses. And I'll actually be administering the PCLR to them. So I am trained and certified in the administration of the psychopathy checklist revised. Um, One of the challenges within criminology uh, is getting access to psychopathy data. It's oftentimes the data sets we use don't include psychopathy measures at all. Most criminologists can't measure psychopathy on their own. You have to become certified for it. And so they use secondary data. Uh, So I will be over the next, the course of the next several years, most likely, uh, administering it to people who have committed sex offenses here in a county in Texas, and we'll be doing an abundance of research on on that from from what we find with that population. Well, let's hope that you can come up with something useful that can diffuse some of the extremes for this. Uh, Chelsea, yeah. it's been fascinating. I hope I've not asked so much, too many basic questions or sen- sensationalised this because I think that's the real danger that you can with this because the media pull is, you know, when we were setting this up, we talked about it being kind of clickbait. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I certainly wouldn't want to do that, but uh, it, does, uh, it does catch the attention, I think. Um, yeah. So thank you very much for giving you time over to this and uh and we'll we'll i'm sure we will be catching up soon of course thank you rob appreciate it you have been listening to the incj podcast conversations about international criminal justice to find out more go to our website at criminaljusticenetwork.net or follow us on twitter at intcj network